it is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. Michael was born and raised in Lakeland, Florida, and he talks about how he got into music. He got his very first guitar at 15 years old. His grandfather actually gave him the money. He used to go over to his grandfather's house once a week and mow his lawn and then have a sandwich or hang out with him a little bit after. And he told his grandfather one day, like, hey, there's a guy at school selling a guitar. I really want it. And he cut him a check for a hundred bucks, took it to school, got that guitar, still has that guitar till this day. He was always writing songs, but never showing them to anybody. He would just keep those songs to himself. Wouldn't even show his mom, didn't sing in front of anybody. It wasn't until he went away to college where he showed some of his songs to, to some people for the very, very first time. He talked about releasing a bunch of records independently, sending a DM on Instagram to one of his favorite producers, having that person then send him a message back wanting to work with him. The cool process of, of how the new record came together, basically speaking with this, this person every day, really getting to know each other, going to the studio, recording a record, and having that person show that record to other people in the industry, and that's how he ended up signing his first record deal. So if it wasn't for that very first DM, he wouldn't be where he is now. It's pretty cool. But he talks about that and his most recent single, Lady Luck, and the new album, Milky Stars. You can watch the interview with Michael on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It would be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Music, Google Podcasts, it would be awesome if you follow us there as well and hook us up with a five-star review. We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We're bringing it backwards with Michael McArthur. Yeah. How you doing, man? What's up, man? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing great, brother. Uh, sorry. I had like a minor panic attack there. My f- stupid camera was being weird. And now like the settings that I had were <laughs> like I used to zoom. I don't know what happened. I have to like figure out the software behind it. So I'm a, the rooms looks a bit bigger than normal. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> You have the same shutters that I have, man. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Rad. Um, Yeah, the the shot's usually tighter. And then I was like freaking out for the past 20 minutes trying to figure out what's going on. But I think I have to, I don't know. Anyway, besides the point, I appreciate you doing this. (laughs) I appreciate you doing it, man. Cool, man. I'm super excited. Uh, I read all about you and I was listening to your, your tunes and the stuff you have coming out on your new record. I'm stoked. Awesome, dude. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so I'm, I'm Adam, and this is about you and your journey in music and uh, how you got to where you are now. I did see you're born and raised in Florida. Is that correct? Born and raised in a town called Lakeland, which is uh, sort of right in between Tampa and Orlando. It's like right in the middle of the state. Okay. Yeah, middle of the middle. Middle of the middle. How long is it like to get to Orlando and to get to Tampa is about the same distance? Yeah, it's like 40, 40 minutes to Tampa, about an hour to Orlando. And um, it's the home of Publix. It's where it's if you've ever been to a Publix, it's where Publix started. That's kind of our. Is that right? Yeah, that's kind oh, of wow. Our, yeah, we have we have like 
we have like six or seven Publixes in our town. There's like Publix everywhere. You know? <laughs> That's funny. That's a great store. I will say, uh, not yeah. to, not that I endorse them in any, any uh, capacity, but like I'm from San Diego and my family and I just recently moved to Nashville about a, a year and some months ago. Okay. And that's the first time I ever uh, experienced a Publix. And uh, it's funny because my, when my in-laws came, they, they actually just moved here, but when they came to visit, like they got off the plane, they're staying at their hotel and there was a Publix across the street. So they went over there and they, my mother-in-law was like, that's the best fried chicken, the best chicken I've ever had in my entire life. Like she was going up. She still talks about it to this day. <laughs> <laughs> the fried chicken. That is the thing though, the fried chicken. And they do like a, um, I don't eat. I mean, I love a good chicken tender. That's uh-huh. like, um, if I don't know what to order at a restaurant, I'll eat a chicken tender. I'll order the chicken tenders uh-huh. because it's a chicken tender. Yeah, it's hard restaurant? to screw that up, right? And they do a, um, they do a chicken tender sub. Oh, I did which, not know this. Which people swear I I don't eat it because it's like it's like bread inside of bread inside of bread or whatever. Sure. But, but it's, <laughs> it's delicious. You know, that's so funny. Yeah. It just, that's cool that that's like the birthplace of Publix. Like I said, I'd never experienced it until I moved here. And then like the fact that my mother-in-law like swears by it, like the, be- like, I bet if you asked her the best chicken she's ever had, she would say Publix that, that one time. <laughs> uh, cool. So uh, what was it like growing up there aside from Publix? Um, it is, you know, it's kind of like small town vibes. Um, the town is growing super fast now. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but growing up, it was just like, you know, we had a blockbuster and mostly chain restaurants and, um, you know, grew up playing football outside and all that stuff. And it was, it was, it was cool. And, and, but the town has changed so much in the last probably 10, 15 years, mm-hmm. We're getting a lot more independent restaurants and, you know, uh, craft coffee shops and coffee roasters and breweries and things like that, that, you know, more developed towns have. And it's also become, because it's in between Tampa and Orlando, it's become this, like, you can live and or vacation in Lakeland and be uh, close proximity to so many things. So Mm -hmm. a lot of people work in Tampa or Orlando, they'll live in Lakeland because it's cheaper to live um, with a, you know, relative proximity to like a bigger market. Mm -hmm. So, we have, we'll have a lot of people that will come and stay in town and then they'll drive to like Disney, uh, Disney world and sure. vacation and come back and then go to Bush gardens on the other side or the beach or whatever. So uh, we've got like Amazon warehouses coming in and uh, different things that just like provide a bunch of jobs. So I think that when I was growing up, uh, when I was younger, you know, maybe it was like 60, 70,000, something like that. Mm-hmm. And now we're like pushing 120,000 people. Wow. It's like doubled. Right. That's crazy. That's so, awesome, though. It's still not big, but it's, you know, it's it's getting it's bigger. It's bigger, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, how did you get into music? Do you come from a musical household at all? So, I kind, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, so, like, I grew up on, um, so my mom is Puerto Rican, and my dad is, you know, is just from, you know, American, just from the United States, hence the name MacArthur. But um, she always had like Gloria Stefan or Julio Iglesias playing and she would be dancing in you know, salsa in the living room, things like that. And, um, and my dad was musical. He played piano and guitar and he wrote songs and things. And all of his brothers pursued music when they were my age oh, wow. uh, one point or another. And they all wrote songs and things like that. So yeah, I grew up around guitars and grew up around 
music in the household. And then when my mom remarried, she remarried a, a Puerto Rican guy. And um, uh, he always had his, you know, Spanish style guitar and he would play just randomly after dinner, just start playing songs and singing. And um, so, yeah, I kind of, I kind of grew up around it. And for me, music was always like, that was like my first love and my first sort of companion. Um, you're kind of in like the, the, in the, in the radio world where you like, you, you have that radio voice and I, you, I, <laughs> thank you. I did it for a long time, like 17 years. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. Right before I, well, yeah. Uh, I did it up through the pandemic and then this started taking off because artists were at home and this was my passion. So I, I went with that instead. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I would like, uh, I would take, you know, one of those, like, I forget what they're called, but it was just like a cassette recorder. Mm-hmm. Of- box you put like a little cassette in there and i would record um you know like uh, songs live. off the radio yeah I'd record the songs off the radio but also do like the uh, intro to them uh, uh my brother and i would do that uh, oh like you were the dj yeah i was the oh DJ. that's awesome yeah, yeah. and okay. i don't have the radio voice but um but i just loved it i was just fascinated with you know with with music and uh and i got like at some point i got that columbia house flyer in the mail where you could buy like uh, a million CDs, CDs for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I did that and, um, you know, got like a beach boys greatest hits and, um, some other things, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was, it was just a part of my life. And, uh, when I wasn't like on the, on the, in elementary school, like on the bus ride home, I would have my Walkman on listening to, uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller or this Stevie Wonder CD that I had or um, or Boys to Men. I kind of grew up on a, on a lot of soul music and 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 that's that's it. And I was in chorus in elementary school and was in band in middle school as a percussionist first. That was actually the first instrument that I, that I played was percussion. And yeah. Do you play drums? Like, did you play full drums or just uh, mainly percussion for the for the band? Yeah. Question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So like, but but I'm so like my my musical experience is rooted in rhythm, mm-hmm. um, and so bass and drums are always my favorite part of, of any you know song. Oh, yeah. you know, it's just like that the rhythm of something. Like if I can feel that, that's the thing that draws me in. So, but it's because of you know sort of where I came from, and then you know a lot of Spanish music is rooted uh, salsa and things like mm-hmm. that are rooted in rhythm, and um, uh, that's that's just where where I came from. That's cool. And with uh, you said started with percussion, but before that or at all prior, were you playing piano or guitar? I mean, since your dad played, I, I didn't play. You know, I, I would mess around a little bit, but I didn't really. My grandfather bought me my first guitar when I was fifteen. Uh, oh wow, that's cool. That's special. Do you still have it? Still have it. It's on the wall in the living room. It's on the oh, wall. Oh man, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah terrible guitar i mean it's absolutely awful sounds like but you'll you know, never get rid of it right that, that'll be the guitar you keep forever yes absolutely it's like a, a made in korea fender acoustic that this kid uh that i went to high school with was selling and i just i used to mow my grandfather's lawn so i would go over to his house i would load the lawnmower in the back of my ford probe so <laughs> you can imagine a ford probe oh, with a yeah, yeah, yeah. oh wow i haven't heard of ford it. probe in a long time Dude, that was my car. And, <laughs> and um, it was like, I don't know, like red. It was just like a bright red Ford Probe. 
and the weed the weed eater and the lawnmower and everything is like just like hanging out the back and i would drive and by the time i got there my entire car smelled like gasoline you know and i would just unload it oh man it was a gas mower too <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. oh that's amazing push mower and i would mow his yard and 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 then every time after i was done i would just kind of go in and spend some time with him mm-hmm. you know my grandfather's my mom's dad he was just a hero of mine and we um just a soulful human being and uh we would just spend time together have you know have a sandwich after i mowed the yard or whatever and then i remember one day i was just like you know there's this kid at my school selling a guitar and i'd really like to learn how to play and he was like well how much is it and it's like it's a hundred bucks I didn't have a hundred bucks, you know, right. I, was, I was mowing the grass to pay for gas, basically, you know, right, right. And, gas uh, to put in the mower. The, <laughs> <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> and um, he was like, okay. And he wrote me a check. And I, and I, the very next day I took it to school and, and bought that guitar from that guy. And that's, you know, that's so awesome. Yeah. I love that story. And were you at home when you, when you get the guitar, is dad showing you how to play chords or anything like that? Or are you just like, I'm going to try to figure this out myself? He did. So, so um, my parents was, my parents split when I was three. So, but, but I would still go visit my dad on the weekends. Okay. And I brought my guitar over and I was like, you know, I have this guitar. I don't know how to play it. And he showed me like the, the, the easiest chords that you could play like E and E minor and G and, you know, and um, and that's basically how I started, and and um, from there I just, you know, sort of taught myself playing, mm-hmm. for, playing for a long time now. But yeah, wow! I did read that you, um, and I think it was your bio or something. You're talking about how you wanted to be the best guitar player, and you ended up just writing songs instead of playing guitar, like being the best guitar player. I yes. think that's a, that, like what with songwriting was. Uh, did you write lyrics prior to that, like poetry or anything like that? Like, or how did you, how did you fall into the kind of the songwriting aspect of it? I think, um, I think how, how that came about is, so I had this Stevie Ray Vaughan DVD mm-hmm. and it was like an instructional DVD. So it was like, it was like a DVD that was like teaching you how to play Stevie Ray Vaughan licks. <laughs> wow. And, um, and I, and I remember sitting down and I didn't have an electric guitar. So I was just trying to figure out these licks on the acoustic. And I was like, this is not, this is not how it's supposed to be. I, I can't do this. You know? Yeah. But not to mention trying to like bend like, like the strings right. and everything else. Yeah. But there was something magical about like being able to communicate a message with an instrument that is sort of otherworldly mm-hmm. um, and touch people in that way just was so special to me. But the more I try to do that and, 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 under, and I think it's just kind of like the, uh, you, you wanting to be this, like, you know, I don't know, this like spectacle of a musician. I think that a lot of guitar players have this, like you want to be able to be on stage and just rip a solo and people sure. go, oh, shit, you know, but, um, but the, the kind of music that I grew up, grew up on were always songs and the kind of music that I connected to were, were just like singer songwriters. You know, and if I ever went through a, a, a breakup or um, a hard time, you know, there were songs that I would listen to and those things were, were the things that carried me through. So uh, I was always a writer. I I didn't like school. I didn't uh, I did well in school, but I, I like hacked my way through it. Okay. I, was, I, I was the guy that would like read the cliff notes, the, the period before the test 
and and then and then take the test and and somehow manage to pass it you know yeah so you were smart <laughs> well i i had i was um i don't know smart or like uh i don't know just like i had this ability to like figure things figure out this, the way things worked sure and um and 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 use that as opposed to like absorbing what the, the actual knowledge was i figured out how to take a test i guess is, is the better way to put it okay so, and i did and so um, yeah, I started writing songs in high school and, and have ever since. And, um, that's like, you know, for me, it, it's the, having the ability to create something that wasn't there before writing a song and then just putting it out in the world. And it, maybe it touches somebody mm-hmm. uh, that is like such a great responsibility and power. And, and it's not about the power for me. It's like, because I grew up on that type of music and grew up with those experiences, I wanted to be able to do that for somebody else. And so like, there is no better feeling for me than finishing a song, good or not, finishing a song and, and the thought that one day somebody else might hear this and one day somebody else might um, find some sort of meaning in it and maybe it helps them with something, mm-hmm. I don't know. No, I love that. When you started writing songs, was that something that was kind of your thing, like to you, or did you put them out or show people right away? It was all me. Yeah, it was all like, I I come from a place of terrible stage fright. So (laughs) like terrible stage fright. So I didn't really play, I didn't play my first show until maybe, you know, 10 years after I started playing guitar and writing songs. Oh, wow. I wouldn't even play for my mom. My mom would, you know, she would come home from, she, she was a registered nurse for 40 years until she retired, but she would come home and, uh, and she was like, Michael, play, you know, sing, sing me a song. I'm like, absolutely not, mom. <laughs> no way. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just had this thing. And then I would try to, I would try to force myself uh, to play. And I, and I had this thing where proper stage fright, blurred vision, throwing oh, yeah. shows like dizziness like the whole thing but the only way to you know the only way to conquer fear to, or to overcome a, a, a difficulty is to keep doing the thing that you're scared of mm-hmm. so i just kept doing it and kept doing uh, it kept doing it and eventually started putting music out put out some eps you know played some shows and um you know and went from there yeah, I mean, you, you've got a lot of releases. I mean, you put a ha- handful of EPs out and then uh, you have one record prior to the, the one that's coming out, I think September, correct? The new one? Yes, September 16th. Okay. Yeah, okay. So like, once you get to the point where, like, where were you at or like, how old were you when you actually were maybe not playing the songs for people, but like, did you have like recordings that you were doing in your house or like something that you showed to somebody? Like, where was the first kind of validation that, what you were doing pe- people would resonate with and, and kept you going forward. So, so I started playing when I was 15 and writing songs. And then when I was 18, I, I did a semester of college in Gainesville. My brother was at UF. Okay. And I went up there and I went to the community college there and lived with my brother and my best friend at the time. And, um, and we had this software called Magic's Music Studio. It's okay, like, I don't know that one. Yeah, dude, it was like, you know, I think we got it. I don't remember where we bought it from, but it was super cheap. And we were on a, on a, uh, just like a standard PC 
And, um, and my brother and I would make these songs, just like random hip hop songs or, <laughs> you know, just like funny stuff. And, mm-hmm. and we would play them for friends and people would just love them. And, um, but the first, the first, uh, like, I think that first EP was really the first go, like the first time that I had an experience where I wrote, wrote songs and released them. And people are like, oh, man, this is good. You should keep doing this. That was 2012. So I was um, uh, 26. Okay. Wow. Because you were you did a, a venture with your brother, right? You had they started a coffee shop or coffee, something with coffee, right? Yes. Yeah. We, okay. We, yeah, there's a there's it's still open here in my hometown. It's called Black and Brew. And it was it's a coffee house, sandwich, salad place. Cool. And um, I was 19 and my brother was 22 when we when we first started working on it and um, and opened it. And uh, and that was like I was always trying to find an excuse to not have to do music for uh, for a living. Mm-hmm. So when when we opened that place, I instead of doing the music, I was the person responsible for setting up live music in the shop. Oh, you like booked people. I booked people and I, and, and I loved it. Cause I would, I would work, you know, at the time when we first opened, we were working 70 or 80 hours a week each. Yeah. And, but I would stay for the show, you know, I'd work, I'd get up in the mo- at five o'clock in the morning, work all day and still stay for the show at night and run mm-hmm. sound. And, and it was sort of my way to be, stay connected to music, even though I wasn't pursuing it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and did the did the coffee shop for a few years with my brother, and then at some point, um, as cheesy as it may be, I read this quotes are pow- words are powerful, right? So I read this quote by Mark Twain, and it's uh, it's the one that's um, it's like twenty years from now, you're not going to regret the things that you did. You're going to regret the things that you didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I, I I read that quote at just the right time, and literally a week later, I I quit. Wow. Yeah. You're just like, okay, th- th- that's it. I'm doing music. And then from there out, wow. You had to walk around because the coffee shop is in downtown. I, I had to walk around downtown with my brother. And I was like, hey, man, you know, music has been my first love m- most of my life. And I, I need to I need to try. Mm-hmm. It was like and- this heartbreaking thing, but also, you know, it's bittersweet. Sure. So so he continued on with that. And, um, and I continued on with music. And do you just go from there? I mean, obviously, okay, now, you know, I'm just doing music full time. Where do you go? Do you try to go into a studio and, and record something? Like, what's your first move? And then, how, like, tell me a little bit about, like, moving forward to where we are now with, with your career. Yeah, so I, uh, for that first EP, I, um, I, I did a Kickstarter campaign to fund it. Oh, wow. And, um which was an experience and, uh, <laughs> but, it, but it worked and, and that's cool, man, to, to even get it to work. That's incredible. Yeah. It was a lot of begging basically, you know, sure. and, uh, and I had a lot of people that, uh, and still do have a lot of people that believe in me and, and, and supported me. So, uh, did the Kickstarter campaign and there's this studio here in, in my hometown called the Vanguard room. And I recorded my, my first EP there. So, you know, wrote, five songs and um and went in and recorded them and did a did a release show and 
and then started playing any kind of gig I could sort of get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, made another EP, did another Kickstarter campaign, spent savings, you know, um, yeah. the, the whole thing. And it was all very ad hoc uh, and grassroots, which was mm-hmm. sweet. And I would, I would, I had this thing where I would, uh, I would send emails to artist agents and I would say, Hey, I, um, I see you have a show coming in, in Tampa. I'd like to open up for who, you know, insert the artist name. Uh-huh. I don't need to be paid. I'll even help you guys load in uh, just as long as I can sell some merch. And that worked for a long time. I got to open up for some pretty cool people, shaky graves and wow, uh, Judy Collins and Richard Marks and Delbert McClinton and uh, various people all around the country uh, and did that for a while and just kind of traveled around in my Honda Civic, sometimes sleeping in it. And uh, <laughs> sure, we just show up and play a you know thirty minute show and and then move on to the next one. That's awesome. That's a great idea. I mean, to 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 approach these the booker or not not even the booking agent, like the agent that's representing the band. I mean, like, hey, I know you're playing here. Um, do you think I could? And you know, nine out of ten times, I'm sure they're just like, sure, man, you want to help us out? Why not? Get up on the stage. I mean, that's so cool. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, I actually got in. So I wrote. So do you know Richard Marks? He's like. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. And it, yeah, I mean, he's written these like classic, like um, incredible songwriter, and mm-hmm. not necessarily, you know, in the same genre. But he was like, he was a guy that I was familiar with and and loved his music. And I wrote his agent, and he actually wrote me back personally. He was like, dude, I'm, really? I was blown away by your by your email. Come, I don't usually have an opener, but come come open up these four dates in Florida that I have and. And I did. So that's so cool. Yeah. I mean, like the power of just asking, right? I mean, if you wouldn't even reached out and it's, it's interesting how I've heard stories like that before where, you know, if you just ask, right, like a lot of people may have been like too intimidated or like, oh, I'm not going to send him an email or them an email because they're not going to respond to me. But they've a lot of the times artists like that love that stuff. Like, oh my gosh, like somebody, because they were you at one point, right? Right. You know, they did like Richard Marks didn't just wake up one day and have hits and, you know, millions of fans. It's like he started where everyone else did. That's right. Yeah. And my wife has this thing where she has this saying, it's like, if she is so good at asking, I'm always like, I don't want to burden people. That's me, man. My wife's the same way. I can't ask for anything. (laughs) But her thing is like, if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, so, you know. Might as well ask. The, the worst thing they can say is no. Sure. A lot it. of no's. That's the thing is like I've gotten thousands of no's and I've gotten a few yeses. Mm-hmm. And it's the yeses so, that matter. That's it. That's yeah. so cool. And so you, you end up putting out your first record. Uh, now you're on to your, your next album. Where does COVID lie in your, in your life as far as um, where you, how it had effect on your music as far as, I mean, obviously affect everybody. You weren't playing shows and this and the other thing like, did you have an album coming out or did you have a release coming out that was paused or were you on a tour that got shifted or like, where were you at? Yeah. So I, um, I had put out a record in 2019 and instead of doing a Kickstarter campaign for this, this was my first full length album. It's called evergreen ever rain. And I decided to sort of use the experience that I had opening up the business with my brother and develop a business plan for a record label 
mm-hmm. uh, or a bank essentially. And um, spent like six months on a business plan and put together a record label called Dark River Records. And that's what funded the making of and the release of Evergreen Ever Rain in 2019. Okay. And uh, so I had a few investors and, and put out the album, toured all of 2019. And my plan was to tour all of 2020 as well. And then hopefully make enough money to make another record. And that would be sort of the cycle of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when COVID hit, uh, obviously everything shut down and there was no touring and the whole business model was built off of touring. Touring, right. That's where you make the majority of your uh, money for an artist like me. And um, so it was kind of the first time in my life that I didn't have a plan. You know, I'd planned to open up the coffee shop. I'd planned to leave and to make music and plan to tour, plan to make these EPs, do the Kickstarter campaigns, tour, I did house concerts, did all these things. And it was the first time I was like, I don't, I only have the option to do whatever I can do at home, which is so bizarre to me. So mm-hmm. went back to writing songs and I always kind of have like a, you know, I have notebooks full of stuff and um, I'm always sort of adding to it. If I write a song, I'll just, they're all in alphabetical order. I'll just type them up and put them in there and make, rec- you know, home, home demos of them just so I have them logged. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was the summer of 2020. I was like, I need to start. If, if, if we're going to be home for a long time, I need to start making, start, start thinking about making the next thing. So Jakir King, who's a producer hero of mine, I've sort of followed his career. I've listened to his records. I've, you know, he's got a ton of like, um, educational stuff on YouTube and I've watched all his videos and I was like, man, if I could make my, if I could make my next record with anybody, it'd be Jakir. And, um, we weren't connected in any way. So I, but I DM'd him on Instagram. We weren't even, he didn't follow me. I followed him. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just DM'd him on Instagram, sent him a SoundCloud link to a few homemade demos and didn't hear back from for a week. And it was sort of what I expected. I was like, I'm used at this point, I'm used to not hearing back from people. Right. I mean, especially somebody that's, you know, a a bigger name producer, you're probably like, Oh, it probably just got lost in his thing. Like you maybe even check it or yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause if, if you're not directly connected, like as far as like friends or following each other, I think it's harder to even see those messages. Exactly. But another week went by and I just happened to get on and, and had a message and I checked it and it was, uh, it was Jakir. And he was like, Hey, I, I listened to your songs and I think they're really great. Let's get on the phone. And I was just like, Holy, you know, Holy shit. Uh, that's amazing. And so we got on the phone and that first conversation that we had, he was like, Hey, look, maybe we will make a record one day, but more important than that is you and I need to get to know each other because I can't make your record, your best record. If I don't know you, if I don't know anything about you. So we, which was, that was so different for me because every other experience that I've had and they've all been amazing, but they've just been very different. And that, it, that is that it's a transactional relationship, you know, sure. I make a record, I pay for it. You help me make that record. Mm-hmm. And then I go on my way and hopefully we keep in touch. But for Jakir, it was different. He was like, the relationship is more important than the music because the music can't be good if the relationship is not there. 
So I love that. Wow, that's so cool that he that's that. Well, maybe that's why he has such great records, right? I mean, he's worked with so many huge names, Kaleo and uh, Kings of Leon, and you know, just massive artists. Yes, and that's his that's his thing, and it's not, you know, that's the way that he operates. Um, he he feels music on the deepest level, like an artist would. Um, and he's an artist in his own right. He just doesn't play an instrument, really. You know, um, people in the studio are his instrument. So we had probably 10 or 12 hour long conversations on the phone before I even went, met him in real life. And it was like, we'd get on the phone, he'd be like, oh, you know, how, how's it going? What'd you do today? You know, whatever. And we eventually start talking about our families. And so the next conversation, he's like, well, how's Jen? How's the dog? How's, you know. Oh, Wow. All, all this stuff and it's like he really digs in that's awesome really digs in so so by the time i did finally make it to nashville to make the record we already felt like we knew each other you know mm-hmm. and now and then since then so it's been almost two years now but um we're friends now we talk a few times a week you know i've been to his house we've gone out for dinner you know we we hang out we 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 see you know it's like we have a relation a proper relationship now mm-hmm he knows this album and these songs just as intimately as I do, which is special. And it probably obviously helps you open up as being in, you know, in the songwriting process to be more vulnerable with him instead of being like, Oh, what's he going to think of this? Like, is it going to be, and then maybe not presenting ideas that you would have before, because now, you know, you feel safe that he's not going to trash you or, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 100%, like he's, he is a master of making you comfortable, but also delivering the, the message that he feels is important without destroying your confidence. So he is like one of the most honest people I've ever met, but he's a, he's able to sort of deliver that honesty in a way that, because when you're an artist and you've worked and you've poured your heart and soul into something, if somebody's like, I don't know if I, I don't know if I like that or whatever, it kind of crushed. It can kind of crush. Mm-hmm. You. Sure. But he has this way of navigating the emotion behind things and keeping that in mind while also if he has a, if he has a, a goal in mind or like a, a, he knows how to get to that point through communication and through relationship without destroying your, you know, without destroying that, that emotion or that, that confidence. And, um, and I do think that's why his records are so great because mm-hmm. he is able to, he's kind of like Rick Rubin in that way is where it's, where it's like Rick Rubin doesn't play instruments. He makes music from here. You know, right. he, he doesn't know necessarily why all the time, why things aren't working, but he knows how to communicate a message to the musicians to get it to a place where it does work, mm-hmm. to where it does feel right. And that's all, it's all feeling. Yeah. It's so interesting that there are so many great producers that don't like necessarily play a right, like right in that sense where you played a note or this and he goes, no, and you, it, it should go to E and then F or whatever, because of the, what, you know, theory behind it. But it's more like, oh no, like it would be cool if this, something like this happened yes. or something. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. I love it's that. All it's well, all feeling based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So the record is coming out in September. In September. Um, are you doing shows around it or a tour around it? Yeah. So hopefully. So, so Jakir, once we finished the album, he was kind of like, 
dude, it, I can't promise you anything, but I love this album and I love you. And I want to help you in any way that I can make this successful. Mm-hmm. So he started sending it to people that he thought should hear it. And he sent it to a company called Transoceanic Records. And um, this is long story short, but they, they loved it. And uh, long story short, signed my first record deal with them. Jakir started a management company with a guy named Rich. Um, so Rich and Jakir are now my managers and wow. got full press, radio promotion, like the whole thing. So I went from being essentially on my own for 12 years of full-time pursuing music and releasing stuff to now having this team of, you know, 10 or 12 people that are thinking about it in addition to me, which is such a change. So they're working on tour. I'm going on a radio tour um, uh, next week. And wow. Yeah. And so, and actually just, just found out today that Lady Luck, the first single release on mm-hmm. Transoceanic, just debuted at a top 40 on the Billboard AAA chart. That's huge, man. Congratulations. Yeah. So sweet. That is so cool. I mean, think if you wouldn't have sent him that DM on Instagram. All started there. I know. That's so wild. I love that. Yeah. Well, congratulations, man, on all the success and in the record and the song. And I appreciate your time today, Michael. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. Of course, dude. Adam, nice to meet you. And thank you for taking the time. Of course. I do have one more question before I let you go. Okay. Uh, do you have any advice for aspiring artists? Yeah. Um, I heard this. So after making the record with Jakir, I was probably as close to quitting, even though I had that amazing experience, I was probably as close to quitting as I've ever been because I was, I was sort of spending so much time. I had spent so much time and energy doing this thing that I love so much and it wasn't making the progress that I thought I should be making. And I, I read this quote and I, feel, I think it's the guy that started GoDaddy, which is not sexy at all, but. But, but, <laughs> but look how big GoDaddy is. <laughs> but it, but, yeah, GoDaddy too. And, uh, but the quote is great. And it's like, it, it, it's uh, when you're ready to quit, you're closer than you think. And I had always told people like the difference between the people who make it, whatever that means to you, uh, and the people who don't is the people who make it just didn't quit. And that's, that is all that there is to it. You just can't stop it.